Hello, how's everybody doing today? Um, I'm Stone, and I'm here with Keith. How are you doing, Keith? Good. Good to see you, Stone. Good to see you, too. Uh, welcome to the 9,001st episode of the Veterans Musing Podcast. That's right. We've done over 9,000 episodes of this podcast so far. It's pretty good, considering we started, what, like a month and a half ago, I think? So, I'm pretty impressed with the progress that we've made. Uh, you got anything in particular that you would like to talk about today, Keith? Anything, <laughs> you threw me under the bus. Anything in the news? Yeah, there's a lot to talk about, I guess. I mean, the recent uh, the recent situation happened yesterday in Texas. Terrible mm-hmm. tragedy. Uh, I guess we are going to talk about it at some degree, Stone. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, I mean, I just read this morning that uh, the uh, the shooter was killed by a Border Patrol agent. Ah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, who supposedly went in there without any backup, and unfortunately, by the time he was able to do that, you know, we know what the results have been. But uh, uh, I guess the conversation maybe we could have is, what would be a sensible course of action to maybe not eliminate every one of these events, but at least put some type of uh, some layers of security for these kids that can't defend themselves. You know, external perimeter, you know, guys walking around, internal. What do you think? That's just, that's kind of dystopian, right? Like, let's build, let's make our schools look even more like um, cops in Iraq. Because that's, I guess, I don't know, man. Like, the sensible answer is different from, for everybody, right? Like, for some people, their sensibility is outright just banning any type of firearm that has that isn't a revolver right and then there's people who are like well maybe we should just institute this universal background check and waiting period and then there's people who are like there's nothing we should do nothing at all i should be able to own an at4 if i want to own an at4 and that's that's it so it's it's hard to say like i mean for me i guess the first thing we would do is at scale since we can't seem to nail down or get the funding for for mental health issues and and to be clear i was reading some uh, articles today about they always use the argument of mental health when when something like this happens but we're not an outlier in the western world for mental health issues like we're we're about on par with most of Western Europe and other westernized countries when it comes to depression um, were a lot more medicated than a lot of those other places but so I don't every time I hear we have mental health problems it's like do we like do we really have any more than anybody else is this the crazy country like I don't I don't believe we are uh, I think there's there's something deeper that at least for me personally, comes from this sense of power, the gun, and masculinity all being tied together. Where if you feel powerless in your life and you're hateful and you have no way of changing that, the ultimate form of power is to lord someone's life over them to say at any given time without anyone to stop me I can go in and I can take as many lives as I'm capable of doing 
And that's what makes me powerful. And we see that through our media. We see that through our, I love Black Rifle Coffee Company, but when I watch their advertisements, it's girls in bikinis, buff dudes with tattoos, machine guns, and coffee. It's like, what the fuck does any of that have to do with each other? Is yeah. Does drinking this coffee make you a man? Does it make you a better shot? Like, I think there's this sick tie-in, and when you when you influence the civilian world with these militarized mindsets, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think they have the training, the discipline, uh, the leadership to guide them through that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. So the only thing that they can do is emulate what they see, and that is... Mm-hmm. Gun makes me powerful. I can get it pretty easily, and I can go to a place where there are soft targets and commit mm-hmm. the, the most amount of damage. And I don't, I don't know what the answer is, man. I don't, because there's, there's there's talks that those cops, the ones who responded, they responded before he went in. So they disengaged from this shooter. If this is you know, the reports, this is still a fluid situation. But if that's the case, these cops disengaged from somebody because they didn't have the firepower to stop them. But at the same time, we're telling unarmed children and teachers to charge gunmen en masse to tackle them and take them down. But armed cops wouldn't do it. Yeah. Like, what the fuck? Yeah, I didn't read that today. Uh, you know, basically what we were talking about a few minutes ago was uh, from from what I did read, and it's all... It's still, like you said, it's very fluid, but uh, um, somehow he ended up approaching the school, and then he got into a classroom, barricaded himself Mm -hmm. in, and they were shooting. I guess there was an exchange of of, uh, gunfire between the cops that were there and the suspect, and then eventually this Border Patrol agent was able to somehow, you know, kill the suspect, but it was way too late for the students. Yeah. But getting back to like masculinity, you know, uh, I'm a fan of uh, um, Black Rifle Coffee to a certain extent, right? I find that, well, Matt's older videos that he made were, yeah. was really funny and it's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, but there is this, this link between, hey, you know, women in bikinis and tattoos and guns and helicopters and blowing stuff up. And I'm not, you know, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I think uh, the psyche, like, I'm not sure if young men really know what it is to be a man because we've got, Mm. uh, it just seems like young men might, not all of them, of course, but they're a little lost, like, like, You know, it's like, don't confuse. It seems like there's confusion of like, what are we supposed to be? You know, does the gun make us stronger? Does aggression, does, uh, you know, just. There's such a difference between the way, like, you know, I was talking with my wife last night, looking back at when I was 17, 16, it never occurred to me once for myself to ever hurt anyone. Matter of fact, I was on the opposite. Mm. I would tend to stand up. But the idea of, you know, 
I grew up in a really crazy home, an alcoholic father. My mother was very, very sick mentally and physically. Mm. There was a lot of abuse. And I wasn't the only kid. I mean, that was my neighborhood. You know, it was, we kind of lived in poverty. But never did it cross my mind to, to target anyone, even to, to, to like have an altercation of any kind. It's just unheard of. And, you know, looking back in 1978, 79, 80, I can't think of any mass shootings like what we're seeing over the last 20 years. It's just insanity. So I don't know, you know, I I don't know. The first thing we have to do is definitely protect the children. So if we, unfortunately, if we have to turn our schools into more of a fortress type thing with layers of security, I say we do that until we can really start to figure this out. Uh, the funny thing is, how many people in the United States get killed by hand grenades? Not many, I imagine. Yeah. Well, why is that? You can't get them. <laughs> you can't get them. So there is, I mean, I'm, I'm a Second Amendment guy. I am too, right? but there, I, there is a definite link between having an infinite supply of weapons at scale. I mean, yeah. th- at scale, that's the issue. Is It's like, they, there's other countries they bring up, you know, like, I think it's, is it's Finland, where after your military service, you keep your service rifle, it goes home with you, and then you're basically a reservist militia member in case they ever need an army because they don't keep a large enough standing army, right? Mm-hmm. Dude, that kind of sounds like what our forefathers envisioned a little bit, right? Where yeah. you serve in the military, you take your weapon home, and now you're part of the standing militia. Yeah. So if there's ever an issue, you take your weapon, you rejoin the military. But and but they don't have these shootings. Yeah. And they don't have the I don't think they have the war culture that we have. I think that's part of it cuz they've changed, right? You remember you remember Columbine. Yes. So I I went to a charter school and we got out of school early um those days. So I think I think I was home by like by about 1. So I turned on CNN or whatever was on and flipping through. And I remember around that time they were either showing the kids coming out of the window or they were showing the replay of it mixed in with the live aerial footage over the school. So I got home early and watched my the end of my first school shooting that it you know really ever happened on a on a large level like that mm-hmm. at 15 16 years old. And then it's just been nonstop, but they they seem to have changed. There doesn't seem to be this Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold seem to have been like targeted and bullied and were lashing out against us like a world that they viewed as like against them and a lot of these dudes when you watch their follow-up interviews and read their manifestos I don't it doesn't I don't get that bullying thing I get a lot of ideology mm-hmm. and a lot of these dudes whether they're being influenced by extremists from you know, Islamic groups or white power groups or black separatist movement groups or, you know, whatever it is, like a lot of these dudes seem to be influenced by extremism. Mm-hmm. And there's ample extremism within every political spectrum in this country currently. And a lot of times they seem to be the most vocal of those groups, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, yo, you got immigrants coming in here to take your jobs. They're trying to breed out the white race. They're literally trying to erase you from existence. Yeah. 
So you go into a supermarket <clears throat> and you gun down a bunch of black folks, right? Mm-hmm. With racist shit written all over your M16. Yeah. Or the Western world is the devil and they're literally the great Satan and every problem that's happened in the Middle East is a cause of Western aggression. So you go into a nightclub with a bunch of gay folks who are pretty hated upon in, you know, in that mm-hmm. community anyways, and you gun down a bunch of them. That was the shooting in Florida. That was the one in Florida. Yeah. So there's like ideology attached to a lot of these manifestos. A mm-hmm. lot of, I guess they just did, did this report where they were trying to find the through line through a lot of these that are done by males, 18 to 34, the ones who are committing most of these shootings. Mm-hmm. And the majority of them in post interviews and in their writings found, I think it was like, it was like 80% of them or something had killed a significant female in their life prior to then going out and committing this mass shootings. So I think 80% is what they estimated the through line was between all of these was misogyny, was hatred of women, was a lack of a mother in the household, or you hated your mom because she was this, or you were mad that women didn't like you. But there seemed to be a huge through line with a lot of these dudes at their core hated women. Mm-hmm. thought that they deserved sex, weren't getting the attention that they deserved, were jealous of other people for it, hated their moms for divorcing their dads, hated their moms because their dads divorced them. Mm-hmm. So there was like a lot of anger towards women and a lot of these young men. And I don't know, I don't know how you solve that either. No, I mean, I, you know, reading and watching some documentaries on Ted Bundy, mm-hmm. he was sort of in that same category yeah yeah you know he had a a hatred he you know it was funny he had a girlfriend while he was killing women but he still had this hatred and the green river killer was another one where there was an underlying discontent or hate for women which he he ended up targeting women that he could easily you know uh get a hold of and then kill and you know the socially you know, oh, they're just prostitutes, so it's not like, you know, some, uh, you know, wealthy or whatever. But it just seemed that there is this trend. Now, this kid that did the shooting yesterday, he worked at Wendy's, and some of this very, very quiet. You know, he would go to work, do his job, and come home. But it's sort of like maybe a little bit of an oddball. And then there was a photograph that was sent that the shooter sent to his friend of a couple of ARs. And I think his friend said, texted him, hey, you know, why do you have that? And he said something to the effect, oh, you wouldn't recognize me now if you saw me. So, I, you know, it's like there's something going on. Yeah. You, you know, it's from what I've read, like in suicides, the more graphic the suicide, as opposed to taking pills or hanging versus, you know, shooting yourself in the face, from what I've read and what I've been told, if it's more extreme, there's more frustration within the person. It's performative. Yeah. We, so I want you to see it, yes. not just find it. I want you to... It's like a statement they, they want to make. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, towards the end. It, it was very funny that this guy shot it out with law enforcement, and then the shooter in Buffalo just nonchalantly put his weapon down, put his hands on his head. So I don't understand that. So it was like, well, I guess maybe you didn't want to die or. Yeah. What well, I think, I don't know what the, I mean, I haven't read that kid in Buffalo's manifesto. I, I read I the, either. I read the Christchurch dude's manifesto. 
um, unfortunately, I also saw those vi- that video when it first came on the internet, and that was man, that fucked me up for a few weeks because yeah. I was I thought it was just going to be like the beginning and blurred out, mm-hmm. but it was the full 15, 20. So I watched that dude do every one of those people mm-hmm. first person with his helmet cam, right? Yeah. And then I read his manifesto, and I was like, man, this is all shit that gets parroted by politicians in our own country a Mm. lot of this stuff a lot of this fear-mongering a lot of this hatred towards anybody who isn't a white christian Mm -hmm. and i don't know where the resurgences came from like i thought we kind of you know stomped those cockroaches into the corners that they belong to Mm -hmm. and you know what's strange stone is that like i've watched uh, i watched nine minutes of the buffalo shooting and then I watched just about the full New Zealand shooting yeah. that happened in 2019. Yeah, that's a Christchurch one. Yeah. yeah, and both of these shooters were extremely calm. Like, almost like they were hypnotized by whatever was going on in their head because they were so, I mean... <laughs> Intention. Yeah, it, it's like they're just... It, it was like they were, like, trained for years before they did this. So nonchalant. Uh in the Buffalo shooting, as after he entered the grocery store, there was a, a white uh, uh, employee almost in the fetal position. Did you see him between the cash registers? I, I haven't watched that one. I'm, I'm not going to. Well, yeah, so good on those. he's just <laughs> doing his thing yeah. and nonchalantly just shooting these people point blank. And then he leans over and sees the, the employee, the white employee, and goes, oh, I'm sorry about that. Almost chuckles. And goes back to engaging people in the store. And I thought, God, that's, that's, he's almost like hypnotized, you know? Radicalized, dude. Yeah. He's, he is, he is what I was in Iraq. I mean, that's, that's all, that's all he is. Yeah. Except he's here and his enemies just happen to be African American Americans. Yeah. I'm African American Americans. That's a double. I forget the phrase, but yeah. So, th- yeah, I I think these I think these kids. So with twenty years of war, right? We've learned a lot. Learned a lot about psyops. Learned a lot about how to convince. Because I don't think convincing someone to kill is that hard, mm-hmm. right? And you know, there's that book on killing, and they yeah. they do, do the whole estimates where guys won't shoot their weapons and stuff. Yeah. I think the harder part is convincing people to die for somebody else. I think. That's like to die for a cause greater than themselves. Because yeah. if you hate someone or someone really, you know, hurts someone you love, mm-hmm. not hard to fathom you could probably go and end that person's life. Now, you may not do it as personal as stabbing them. You know, you may shoot them, you may whatever. But like to convince someone that they need to give their life for the idea of this dude to the left or the right of you, yeah. you have to radicalize them to do that. That's why it takes months of abuse with grown men yelling at teenagers, screaming at them, drilling them, telling them they're pieces of shit, telling them they're going to die. And then once they've destroyed that part of you, they build you back up into a person who's angry at the enemy. And the enemy can be whoever they direct you at, whatever war, it's the enemy, right? Yeah. And I think that they do this with our youth here, the ones that don't join the military, our our our. Recruitment numbers are down. Mm-hmm. They said special operations is just drowning right now because they're bearing the brunt of this continued war on terror. Mm-hmm. But they, they don't have the guys. They're all burnt out. Yeah. Kids are like, I can make 
$75,000 a year doing five 20-second dancing videos a day, why the fuck am I going to join the Army? Yeah. Like, why, why am I going to? I can yeah. be an engineer and start my own company and be an entrepreneur and make millions. Why am I going to join the Army? Yeah. So I think they're, they're taking these tactics that they've learned over these last 20 years, and they're just applying it in the real yeah. world. And I don't know who's doing it, you know, the leaders of these dubious organizations that mm-hmm. want nefarious ends, but, like... Well, everything is so transparent now. You know, when I first joined the service, uh, it was very quiet professionals, you know. Um, we didn't, you know, we, of course, we didn't have the technology to have social media, you know, so what we did was hardly ever seen, but... Nowadays, everything is just so, like, there's just no filters for anything. You know, people are more callous. Our children are seeing things like, uh, you know, whatever they want. As soon as they go to bed, like, I had two daughters growing up at the beginning of this, you know, Internet boom. (laughs) And I would put them to bed, and I would peek in the room, and they're on their phones. I don't know what they're looking at. You know, by the time you get their phone from them, who knows what they were looking at. So I, yeah, you know, it, it's like they have, they have all the exposure to technology, but they haven't grown emotionally to decipher it in the sort of way that realize, oh, this this organization is trying to, you know, radicalize me, yeah, you know, yeah. uh, remove the human element of empathy and morals and scruples, and we've seen it in our politicians, we see it in the media. You know, one side just ripping the other side apart. And it's not really about getting information out there. It's about me giving you the information I want you to get so I can sway your mindset. Yeah, yeah. uh, Or whatever. So it's changed a lot. You know, when I first joined the service, we used to shoot at these, believe it or not. Well, we shot at, we shot at, you know, silhouettes in, in that book on killing, which we both read, obviously. You know, they talk about that. In World War II, they shot paper targets, and then only like 50% of the guys were actually trying to kill the enemy. And it was even worse in the Civil War. Mm-hmm. A lot of the muskets were found with multiple balls in them. Remember when they said that? Because they would go through the motion, just load another ball, and eventually get killed, and they never fired a shot. Oh, my God. Yeah. But it, it turned out That's that... That's dark comedy right there. Yeah. The Vietnam veterans were the most efficient at shooting at the enemy. And I'm sure it's even more now as the training, because what they did was they did away with paper targets, went to silhouettes, aim center mass, take the human element, just aim center mass. But I actually remember going to ranges on on the East Coast where the targets would move and they had the Russian helmet on with the star. And, of course, we're all aiming for headshots, you know, but... Yeah, all of our so we had a this thing called the man it's the EST essential skills trainer like 3000 right oh. you know just yeah. the most like 1980s name ever and what it was is this giant room that you walk into and they have M4s whatever type of weapon system and they're hooked up to a um like a pressure line a hydraulic line so when you shoot them they kick and they have the trigger pull and everything. Mm-hmm. And there's this giant screen, and you go in there and you do scenarios. And most of the scenarios that you do are target discernment scenarios. So it'll be a bunch of actors all dressed in Middle Eastern clothing of obviously not Middle Eastern origin. And, you know, they're all there, and they're all angry, and some are throwing rocks. And the thing is, is that you're at a uh, 
a checkpoint. And then the bad guy would pull his AK out from the crowd and start shooting. And your job was to not shoot the crowd, wait until you could get a clear shot, identify weapon, you know, whatever. So, like, but it was all training on Arabs. Like, it was mm-hmm. all, this is your enemy. It's a dude who in a man dress with a beard who may or may not be wearing something. They didn't really wear anything on their heads. I think they wore kufis mm-hmm. in, in um, Iraq, which is the little looks like almost like a beanie like a small yeah like a large yamulka almost mm-hmm. but yeah so like that that's who they trained us to kill was arab looking dudes yeah every time we went in there it was and then in iraq or in you know vietnam they called him charlie or some other unflavored yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And, and we called him hodge which is a term of haji and yeah. haji is the guy who's made the the pilgrimage to mecca so yeah. normally like an older gentleman Haji is a term of endearment. Mm-hmm. Good old Americans were like, Haji, fucking Haj. Yeah. All of us have Southern accents when we're in the army. It just happens. But yeah, it's, I don't know, man. I just, so well, what do you think? What, what do you think some, some sensible, let's say outside of the turning the schools into fobs, right? Cause that'll work. Like we know that'll work. If you had serpentine entrances and perimeters and guard towers and they're basically prisons, these kids will not get shot. But yeah. outside of having to go that route, what what is? Well, what what, what does the FBI do for profiling serial killers? They know that there's at any given time. This is what the yeah. FBI says. There's over a hundred serial killers either in the process of active targeting or sleeping, like a, yeah, a serial yeah. sleeper. So what do they do? They they're constantly following leads. You know they're. And I don't know anything on the background besides the fact that this kid, his friend, supposedly said that he received a text message with pictures. So maybe it's more weirdness. Maybe, you know, we have to start really getting serious about being responsible for each other. Like if you sent me a picture that was out of character for you, which, you know, all of a sudden I've never seen a picture of you with weapons and all of a sudden I get a picture of three weapons. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's a red flag. Maybe that's I should reach out to you or let someone know, even though I'm breaking your trust. Yeah, oh, don't show anyone these pictures. But if that protects 15 kids, maybe it's time if we're not. I mean, as a friend of mine says, the genie's out of the bottle. There's just too many weapons out there. Yeah, you know, can't there's no gun gun nuts out there. I'm going to tell you this. No one is coming for your weapons because it's physically impossible to do it. Yeah. Like, they would literally have to start a war in the streets. And cops also are private gun owners, so they're not going to be doing this. Your guns are safe. You may not be able to buy them one day, but no one's taking them from you. Okay, sorry. But, you know, getting back to it, you know, we can can add security to the schools, Hmm. you know, without turning them into fortresses. I mean, if you had a couple of guys that walk the perimeter of the school and they're they're let's just say they're better trained there's people that they can train there's people already trained that have a good sa you know so they might be able to read things the thing is that we need deterrence to keep these people from just thinking i'm going to walk into this grocery store and blow everyone away i mean there's no way that we can make everyone safe but we can be safer it's like you can't keep yourself from being struck by another car if the guy's drunk or he falls asleep at the wheel. But you can wear a seatbelt. 
right? You can drive, you know, with with a sense of awareness. Like yeah. riding a motorcycle. Yeah, yeah. You know, so I, I think there are things to do that we can do, but I think ultimately it's going to require money and this and that, but I think we can... Uh, at some level, be more self-responsible. Um, mm-hmm. Watch our people. Watch our kids, you know. Uh, and, of course, you know, the feds. I mean, if there's people out there and, and they're getting information, whatever it is, take the time to get investigate these people or, or be aware. Or, I mean, even if you knew that you had a possible individual that might be a danger to society is his personal rights more important than the welfare of 17 kids in the school how does that work you know i would say yes yes i would that's isn't that the sad trade-off right like is it's like how do you take away one person's rights who hasn't committed a crime yet in order to protect the lives of innocent people like pre- like you can't do that predictive crime shit where you're like, you know what? I think you might do something yeah, bad. Like that so Tom Cruise movie. Up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Like China's doing almost with their with their like human rating system where they're like, oh, you're poor and you get these grades and you come from this area. So there was a vandalism here. It was probably you. Yeah. Like we don't, we can't do that. But yeah, man, I don't. What do you think about like making – Making weapons like AR-15s, people call them whatever they want, assault rifles, military-style, semi-automatic, high-capacity rifles, like making them not... Because here's the thing, you can't price poor people out of being gun owners. And that's one thing I fear with gun control is that you literally create a class of gun owners who only make a certain amount of money because they're the only ones that can afford it. And we kind of have that with like you know, our explosives tax or higher grade weapons tags and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. But it's like, if you want to own a weapon like that to me personally, and especially in the army I came up in that weapons with you at all times, you don't check it into the arms room. Mm -hmm. I mean, once you get to your unit, you do, but when you're deployed, that weapon goes to the defect with you. It goes into the port of shitter with you. It goes to bed with you. It goes on patrol. It is literally with you every time. And and basic, they don't even let you shoot that weapon until they're pretty sure you know how to correct malfunctions. You know how to load it. You know how to operate it properly. You can, they used to do what they do call the dime and penny test. And it's where you take a dime and you set it on the barrel. And what you're doing is trying to drop the mag, pull the charging handle back, lock it, look to see if there's a malfunction put it back forward without the dime dropping down and you do this in prone and you do this in in kneeling it's like so we have to go through all of this certification in the army before they even let us shoot the weapons and then there the the lifestyle that you live is it's like it's your baby like mm-hmm. that is that's your child you don't leave it anywhere it goes with you everywhere you look after it you clean it you care for it if you're going to own one of those weapons I think that that mentality in some way has to carry over into the civilian world because you can't, you can't have these stringent rules 
for people whose job it is to use and have this weapon, but you don't have these same rules for people who are just having them for fun and for hobbies and for yeah. sport shooting or for hunting. There's, I think, you know, for myself, I think there's a large percentage of gun owners that feel like that, you know, mm-hmm. they, they're very respectful of the weapon and what it's really designed for. But then you have a whole other group of people that probably don't even shoot them. They just collect them like cars, yeah. you know, they're, good, they're good investments. Exactly. Right. But I mean, when you think about this, you know, and I'm going to use him because he's the latest, but what was going on in his head, mm. no matter what training you gave a person like this, to walk into an elementary school and shoot fourth graders at point-blank range with, with an assault weapon? Like, like the, I, there was something really, 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 really dark with this dude. Yeah. And... You know, there's no level of training that, you know, the only thing you can do for a person like that is make sure he never, ever touches a weapon. You know, that, uh, you remember Sandy Hook in Connecticut? Yeah, Adam Lanza. Yeah, so Adam was autistic. And his mother thought she was doing him justice by teaching him how to shoot weapons. And, 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 you know, he showed an interest in it, of course. But, you know, eventually he, he ended up getting into the weapons locker, which wasn't secure, supposedly and shot her in the head while she was sleeping and then was able to go out. He's a liability. So in my mind, that's the last person. It's kind of like uh, um, Kyle. um, Good old Kyle Rittenhouse. uh, Not Kyle Rittenhouse. (laughs) um, The the Navy sniper. Uh, Christopher Chris Kyle. Yeah, Chris Kyle. So, you know, he was trying to do something good. But when that story came out, I was in counseling with a Vietnam vet platoon commander who was a, uh, a, a, a social worker, mm, and mm-hmm. we were talking about it. And this, you know, he made the statement like, why would you take someone with PTSD, Yeah, even though Chris was probably trying to do a nice thing for the kid, yeah. but put him in a situation to where, you know, you're going to give him access to, you know, I mean... Basically, he could kill anyone at any yeah, moment, yeah. really, really quick. Which and not just PTSD. Like he was actively going through a crisis. Yes. Like his family had called, the cops had called. Like this was kind of like the last hope for this dude, from what I understand. Like yeah. he was, he was not someone who was dealing with their PTSD. Yeah. He was someone who was going through it at the time. Right. Yeah. In my mind, it, it should have been something like you take someone like that down to a pond or a lake and you ship some rocks start a fire right and then try to engage with them like that but again masculinity might have been thrown into it you know of course chris being the person he was you know wanting to (laughs) be around weapons right but it cost him his life after everything he went through you know so the last place that i want to bring someone that seems that they're having mental issues is Oh, I'm going to bring you to a gun range. So yeah, get, yeah, yeah. You know, so, so I, I don't know. I mean, the thing is, you know, that's a great point that you made. I don't quite know how to respond to it. But, you know, if we're going to have schools and we're going to have access to the weapons that we have, right? Uh, I mean, let's be honest. If he had a knife, maybe he wouldn't have killed as many people. Maybe he would have got five kids. 
maybe you would have got seven. But if it's if you save just one life, it's worth it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I think we really, really got to start thinking about the people around us. Are they of sound mind and judgment? And if they're not, uh, even though we don't want to take responsibility for it, we do have a responsibility to our fellow human beings. It's our civic duty to look out for each other. So whatever comes out of this investigation, which will probably be weeks on, yeah, yeah. there may be things that we learn that he was showing signs of, of serious duress. And, you know, where did he buy the weapons at? And uh, maybe there are small changes that we can implement over time yeah. That might make us not not completely safe, but safer. But the one thing we can do now, if we have to do whatever we have to do to protect these kids in school, we need to do it. Yeah. So, you know, if, if the kids have to come into school and see two dudes that are walking around the perimeter of the school with weapons, so be it. You as hear that, as, National Guard? You're up. Yeah. There's plenty of people out there that could do this. I just had this conversation with a, border, a retired Border Patrol agent. He's a buddy of mine. And even he said he would be willing to go to a school once a week, free of charge. He's already being paid and provide some form of security, internal, external. You know, mm -hmm. if we don't have enough police officers, and it's obvious since uh, the last two or three years, we don't have enough police officers in this country anymore. We don't, no one wants a job. They're all retiring early or they're not taking it. I just saw Phoenix is, is hiring. They're not even testing. If you have an associate's degree or higher, you don't have to take a written test. Yeah, it, for the most part, it pays like shit. The hours are long, and the things they ask you to do go beyond the scale and scope of what you're capable of doing. And that's yeah. why, yeah. like, I feel, me and Tim have gone back and forth on cops. He knows how I feel about them. I know how, how he feels about them. But what I do is feel bad for a lot of them because mm -hmm. I think that they are shoveled with, hey, you need to be mediator, peacekeeper, guardian, soldier, uh paramedic like you are the first responder and and that's a huge task to put mm -hmm. on someone who number one doesn't have the training uh, to handle it doesn't have the culture in which that kind of guardian mentality is it's i've noticed they have a lot more old boys us versus them like like i had in iraq where they mm -hmm. view the populace as an antagonist and it's their job to keep them in line and it's like well you're not sheepdogs mm -hmm. like we use sheepdog in iraq because we have to keep the local populace in line while we protect them from the people. But you're not a sheepdog. Like, you are one of us. You go home every night to your civilian house. So I think they need to be, they all said defund, but I'm like refund. Like, money needs to be put for better, for better training. Mm -hmm. There needs to be police officers who aren't armed. Uh, the... There's no reason for someone who is having a mental health crisis for you to send someone with a, a belt full of tools to hurt that person. Because if I was going through it and a counselor who showed up that was a cop and unarmed, and this is just me personally, my reaction to that person would be completely different than a uniformed officer, especially now that they're wearing all that shit on their chest. Yeah. Because he looks like I did when I was in Iraq. Mm -hmm. And to me, that's a soldier. That's a, that's a threat, right? Yeah. So I think I think training them better is because if they find out that these cops engaged this kid and then disengaged him because they couldn't damage his his body armor, there's a level of fucking cowardice there mm -hmm. that needs to be addressed. That has to be addressed. 
because it's your job to die for civilians. Yeah. Unfortunately, that yeah. is that is your place is to put your life on the line for for civilians. And if for some reason you did not do that, mm. yeah, I haven't heard anything about that, but I I do know that the Buffalo shooter was engaged by a retired cop who worked nice, on the nice. details. So he was struck. Unfortunately, the cop wasn't able to get a headshot on him. Yeah. Uh, but speaking of police officers, I have two brothers that are police officers. And when I first got out of the Army, before I joined the Marine Corps, I wanted to be a police officer. Mm -hmm. And my brother Paul talked me out of it. And I said, you know, basically, he said, Keith, you can't be a cop. And I said, why? Why is that? He goes, because you don't have any gray area in you. You've been military trained. Mm -hmm. So you get a light switch that you turn on and off. You'll end up in prison or, yeah, yeah, or yeah. something worse. And I did notice that over the years that my one brother, my brother Brian was a cop for 27 years and my brother Paul was a cop for about 15 years. And we ask a lot of these dudes, right? But we know we have bad apples. You know, there's... Some of the whole trees. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there has to be, that has to be addressed, yeah. you know? Uh, but on the other hand, it's kind of like if you and I were police officers and we were working together, you know, um, I would think I would have your back. And I, I think some of it is, is the idea that they, they get too complacent in their job. Mm. So all of a sudden you spend maybe two years driving around and you might be dealing with the Mexicans and stuff. And then all of a sudden you have a really escalated, crazy situation. And if you have, it's like us, when we were in, we trained every day. Every day we went over, you know, reactions to ambushes and, you know, all this stuff. And it was constant, you yeah, know, yeah. and if we didn't, you know, it's a perishable skill. If we don't train, we don't keep it. It's like shooting, yeah, yeah. you know. So I, I think there has to be a, a total look at the training that, that you know, um, that these guys are doing. You know, I mean, when you see a guy that weighs 300 pounds and he's a police officer and he's still on the job, you know, um, who is he really protecting? Yeah. You know, he's probably going to have a stroke and then we're going to be paying his, his, uh, <laughs> you know, there has to, the standards have to be higher without a doubt. For sure. For sure. Mm -hmm. All right. We got the red light folks. That's going to do it for today. Uh, pretty sure we'll talk about this issue some more. I don't think it's, it's unfortunate. We might have to deal with a few more of these, but, uh, I hope everyone has a great day. You all kiss your loved ones, hug them, tell the people in your life that you care about, that you love them, because you never know what can happen, and they can be taken from you in an instant. So with that, everybody have a good one. Love you all. Peace. Yeah, take care, everyone. Thank you.